Welcome to Talking Finance, your crypto-free zone at The Constant Investor. Today's feature interview is with a competitor to the NBN. Yes, the NBN is not a monopoly. There's a hardy band of wireless broadband startups trying to steal some of the 8.6 million households and businesses that the NBN's business model relies on. And I'll be talking to one of them, Jeremy Rich of Lightning Broadband. On politics, I'm talking to Michael Kroger, the president of the Victorian branch of the Liberal Party and longtime power broker in the party. On the markets, it's Evan Lucas to tell us about the reaction to the Fed rate hike yesterday and also the big takeover of Westfield. And Sally Ald of JP Morgan will bring us up to date on yesterday's employment data from the ABS. But first, Jeremy Rich of Lightning Broadband. What's he up to? And what does it mean for the telco sector? So, Jeremy, perhaps we could just start by, uh, if you could describe how, the, how your business works. How do you deliver broadband to homes and businesses? Yeah, so um, we run uh, high-speed club optic cables to different points of presence, um, what we call POPs, and from there we provide direct fibre connections to businesses and residents that are within that complex or that building. Um, And on the rooftops of those uh, high-rise developments, and shopping centres, uh, we affix high-speed fixed wireless technology um, to then send high-speed. You mean um, you mean microwave dishes? Microwave or uh, Wi-Fi? Five gigahertz is typically called Wi-Fi, and then twenty-four gigahertz is what they call microwave. But yeah, so high-speed fixed wireless. And, um, and then on any uh, surrounding business or home that can see, that can see have, that has a clear line of sight at rooftop, we can then go and install a, another dish on that other end, on the home or the business rooftop, and we can then send the signal through the air at speeds of up to 1,000 megabits per second comfortably. And and do you own the fibre up to the up to that point of presence? Um, we uh, we yeah we um, lease fibre uh, and work with fibre providers and carriers who own um, fibre throughout throughout the areas. But the point is, I suppose that it's not NBN. So the entire your entire network is separate to the NBN. Correct, correct, hundred percent separate to the NBN. We don't we don't. Um, by any uh, fiber or any services from NBN. And do you work with any of the big telcos like Telstra? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, the big telcos ha- have the largest amount of um, fiber um, networks throughout Australia. Um, and so um, we definitely um, need to work um, with those carriers. So you're not. Uh, are you actually stealing, say, Telstra's customers, or are you just providing them with a um, with another wholesale um, wholesale access? Yeah, we yeah we're providing we're, we're um, providing um, wholesale revenue um, to to Telstra. Obviously, Telstra uh, is um, has the wholesale division and the retail division, and so we deal more so obviously with the wholesale division. 
And what's your pricing like for both resident and business, residences and business? Yeah, so um, we are very competitive um, with NBN pricing and we feel um, that the service um, is a superior service in that we deliver symmetrical speeds upload and download being exactly the same speeds, um, whereas NBN plans are asymmetrical. Um, so we feel that people have more value on the uploading, which is becoming more and more common and, and necessary in this day and age with a lot of the cloud computing and, and so forth. So people are more, more, up, more uh, needing to upload a lot more um, these days. And the other issue is that um, we really guarantee our speeds at peak times and we find a lot of the time um, people don't get those speeds at peak times which are on the plan um, and we can obviously always deliver up to 100 megabits per second a lot of areas we're finding that MBN's not being able to deliver those 100 megabits per second um, speeds even on and the, the last point is about latency um, which is a very important measure when, you, when one needs to consider speed uh, and our latency is very low, five milliseconds or below, and often you'll see um, with NBN latencies being about 30 milliseconds. So we're seeing, so we, we find that our prices are in line with NBN, but the, the value is far greater. And so how are you going? How, how many people are you signing, signing up? Yeah, well, we're getting uh, huge numbers of, 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 of calls, people are just extremely frustrated. It's just unbelievable. Um, the customer service that they're getting from a lot of the telcos is is um, poor and then they're signing up for plans. They're not getting speed. They're waiting long times to be delivered, um, being connected. Um, obviously, NBN rollouts have been delayed. Businesses aren't being serviced. Um, so, you know, the, the, the demand for high-speed reliable service is, is, um, is huge. Uh, so, so, so we're growing, so, so. We're growing about month to month at about 10% month to month, which is really uh, as fast as we can grow right now. So next year we really need to um, put in place more people and, and our foundations to be able to even grow faster because their demand is, is, is massive. So how many customers have you got now? Uh, we, we're approaching 1,000. And, and how competitive is your end of the business? How many people are doing, how many firms are doing what you're doing? Are you, are you aware of that? Yeah, I think there's more and more firms um, popping up because there's a huge um, need. And um, obviously, businesses get get created to solve these these needs. Uh, and it doesn't appear at the moment the NBN is going to be solving those in a large part. So I think a lot of um, savvy entrepreneurs are um, getting into this space. So do you think that do you think it means as you look at it uh, and you see what's happening with you and other people in your space that um, the NBNs customer base is likely to be less than they think? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that's a very good question. I, I, I think, as, you know, if you, if you look at the complaints 
energy satisfaction in the marketplace, and obviously I speak to customers all day long, um, they are crying out for alternatives to NBN. So even those who have, who have NBN um, aren't satisfied and want an alternative to that immediately. Now, the MBN has been a running problem for the government, and clearly, if Jeremy has his way, that's only going to get worse. Tomorrow is the crucial Benelong by-election. They're all crucial, of course, but this one is more than most, since the government's majority is in the play. Here's Michael Kroger to explain what's at stake. Well, Michael, how important is the Benelong by-election on Saturday? Well, it's crucial for the government, Alan, of course, because uh, of the narrowness of the majority. So... 10%, uh, we wouldn't want to be losing it, obviously. It would have significant consequences, but um, the party is reasonably confident that uh, John Alexander will hold on. You know, normal swing against the, bi- in the government, against the government in a by-election, 55 to 6%, the polls are down 5 so you'd think on that uh, on those calculations it's going to be close, but uh, I think the government will hold on. Is it, a, is it yet another test in the long, running, long run of tests for Malcolm Turnbull, that sort of thing? Well, everybody says that, and they always are. So, yes, of course it is, but it's a test for everybody in the government as well. Um, and, of course, if we lost, uh, you know, hell would rain down on us from the media. But uh, I, I think we're pretty confident that John will hold on. He's done a, he's done a pretty good job. Labor have got a high-profile candidate, but John's been very solid. And the performance of the government in the last, you know, in the last you know, year or so since the election, it, it, they've got a very good record of success, and we just hope that that shines through to people on Saturday. I usually talk to political journalists in this segment on my podcast, uh, and um, really for the for most of this year, the obsession has been with the split in the conservative side of politics. Um, you know, there's fr- from the sort of the extreme right and the National Party and Cory Bernardi and that and the moderates. Um, ha- what's your perspective on that? I mean, is it a serious issue? Is uh, that, that you need to deal with or not? Well, of course, any kind of um, you know outbreak on the left or the right or wherever in a political party is uh, is something you've got to treat seriously. And obviously, we've got to treat this seriously with the One Nation vote in Queensland, which was very high in many seats. Um, you know, it would be foolish to deny that she didn't do well. We've now got Cory Bernardi in Benelong, and uh, of course across the country. So, of course, you have to take these things seriously and. We'll be doing everything we can as a party and a government to um, make people believe that the Liberal Party is a very broad church and encompasses all views and that it's quite unnecessary for people to move outside, you know, what is the most successful political party in Australia in the last 70-odd years. So we'll be working hard on all of those people to try and convince them that their complaints are not justified, Alan. But, but it's part of what you're, you people like you and the party are doing um, working to keep the coalition together, in particular with the nationals, is that is that kind of a focus of your attention? No, 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 no quite frankly, it's not. I mean, I think Malcolm Turnbull and Barnaby Joyce have, well, I know they have a very close relationship. I think the relationship, certainly in Victoria, um, in New South Wales, and they merged in Queensland, of course. It's pretty solid. That's not where we have issues, quite frankly. Um, those relationships forged over many years. Um, you know, like in any family, you can have arguments, but it's a pretty solid relationship, particularly at a federal level, and has been, you know, forever. So that's not really a focus. No, it's more that it's more that the you know the it's the Trump outsider effect, and that is bedeviling politics in Western countries 
around the world. It's that I'm not doing well, someone's to blame, the ruling class, those in government must be to blame. And those voters, um, you know, um, are easily led to view that, um, you know, because of the swamp in Washington, you are not doing well. Uh, vote for us and we'll, we'll drain it. And that's what's happening in Australia as well. Uh, do you think it's analogous to the chunk that the Greens have bitten out of the Labor Party's vote? Uh, it's 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 a very good question. It's an excellent question. It's uh, what are they? What do the young people say? Same, same, but different. Yeah. Um, of course, of course, there are there are elements of there are similarities in that there are people that want Labor to move to the left and have a profound disappointment that they're not going to the left on a number of issues. And I suppose the mirror of that is on the right that we're finding people. Um, in you know a similar position, I suppose the difference is for Labor and the Greens, their their arguments about the non-productive sector. On the right, they're essentially arguments about the productive sector and some elements of, of cultural differences. But whereas we want to focus um, on you know jobs, on economic empowerment, on providing um, jobs in rural rural Victoria, rural Australia. Um, the, the views of the left are all about, um, um, you know, climate change, uh, alleged social justice, et cetera, et cetera. It's the non-productive sector arguments, which which you can afford when, when you've had, you know, almost 30 years of uh, profound economic growth. I suppose the, the difference that you didn't mention is that the Greens are an entirely separate party and, and within the uh, sort of the conservative side, it's kind of within the same thing, which means that the the disagreements are seen as disunity within yeah. an existing party. And as they say yeah. in politics, disunity is death. Uh, and so yeah. g- given all of that that's happening, I mean, what do you think uh, the, the coalition needs to do in order to win the next election from here? Yeah. Um, well, you make a good point. That's quite right. The Greens are a separate party, and there is there is that distinction. Look, um, the, the the answer is clear to this, which is if you don't have a clear agenda, um, your the void in public debate will be filled by your opponents. And so, the government in two eighteen and two nineteen have to focus on a very clear economic agenda to improve uh, growth, living standards, and so much of that has got to do with putting more money in people's pockets. And this is where Malcolm Turnbull and Scott Morrison have already started with the floating of the tax cuts um, uh, in 2018 and 2019. If you don't have a clear economic focus as a federal Liberal government, you're in trouble. And uh, one of the reasons we haven't been doing so well in the polls is because, um, you know, we've been hit by all these other issues. Um, You know, the citizenship thing has drained months and months of clean air from the government. And rightly or wrongly so has the debate about uh, about gay marriage. So once that era is clear, once the government gets back onto the economic narrative, I think its polls will improve. And principally, of course, the big issue that's dominating Australia today, although it's not on the front page of your day, is the fact that there's no real wage growth in Australia. And that's the biggest problem that the middle class are finding. Um, everything seems to be going up uh, except wages. So you got wages growth 1.8 and inflation are about the same. People feel they're going backwards because they're not going forwards. And that is an issue the government's got to tackle next year. Well, it hasn't even been talking about that. I mean, that's been going on for a while. And I think, you know, the the jobs and growth argument that's that's been playing out for a couple of years now has, has got them nowhere. Um, I think I think largely that's right. Um, you know, as an, as an economic, uh, as, as a political narrative, it hasn't got as far. 
Um, but that's but that's because if you if if you you know if the canvas is filled with with uh, debates about gay marriage and about citizenship, this can't get on the front page. And so, you know, you have to think that the government is going to move to a footing where it's going to talk about, you know, this problem that's bedeviling the Western world and, and as you know, economists around the Western world are shrugging their shoulders and saying there's now a disconnect between lower levels of unemployment, which are traditionally associated with higher wage growth because of the, you know, diminution in free labour, uh, in available labour, um, everyone's shrugging their shoulders, wondering why there's not this surge in real wage growth when you've got unemployment, you know, in the fours and fives as opposed to the sevens and eights. And so, if the government can concentrate on an agenda which is about productivity growth, uh, deregulation, the tradition of getting government out of the lives of people, the, the traditional ways in which liberal governments, um, you know, manage and rule the economic debate, then I think that'll see Malcolm Turnbull win in 2019. Right. Just finally, um, uh, I think one of the things that has caused the Turnbull palm to slap his forehead has been the argument that you're in with the with the Cormac Foundation, which and both sides of that seem to be saying you and them seem to be saying, oh, this should never have happened. You know, it was absolutely no need to be going to court. Um, could, you, could you just briefly explain what's going on there? Uh, probably not. Um, uh, it's obviously a lot more complex uh, than you've put in that people believe um it's not as easy as it seems obviously yeah right. but the matters before the, the matters before the federal court and um we don't make any comment on matters which are before the courts and now evan lucas on the markets well evan what's been on your mind of the markets this week and don't say bitcoins because this is a crypto oh, definitely not. this is a crypto free zone here, this podcast yes please please i i, I would agree with that i uh, I can very much uh, sort of hold to that idea that I don't want to talk about Bitcoin. But what I do want to have a look at is actually, you know, what, what's happened to this week. It's sort of today, actually, what's going on in Thursday is, is almost like a super Thursday with with everything going on around the world. We had the Fed this morning. We've got the ECB tonight, the BOE tonight. You've got employment data in this country as well. You've got trade data and retail data coming out of China. It's a huge plethora of material. What's catching my attention, actually, is... Probably the reaction to the Fed, um, and particularly the US dollar, it's really fallen away off the back of it. Even though they're still forecasting three rate rises next year, clearly the market is picking up on their, their slightly concerning tone um, around inflation. And that is, it's not just an American problem, it's a problem we're having here in Australia as well, which is that they've got, you know, solid growth. You wouldn't say it was brilliant, but it's solid growth. You've, you've also got a solid outlook for, for earnings, but then you've got no inflation really materialising, even though employment is quite solid. So that was quite interesting. It also therefore means that without any form of major shock happening, the Aussie dollar will actually have one of its best years it's had in the last three. And it's not something people would sort of think about, is that the Aussie is actually up against the US dollar about three and a half cents now for the full year. So that sort of goes back into my market sort of idea that, look, you should be saying that. We're a risk currency. We're a growth market, and we're sort of a proxy for China. Um, and therefore, it does sort of feed through to the thesis that growth stocks and risk assets should sort of help and should actually see a good 2018. But the only caveat to that is that if the Aussie continues to hold about 76, maybe even as high as 77 cents, just puts a bit of a headwind into those that have done incredibly well uh, with overseas earnings. Uh, yeah, but the interest rate differential is tipping over into what you might call negative, yeah. which is that the uh, US Fed funds rate 
is now equal to the RBA cash Correct. rate and is going above it uh, next year, undoubtedly. Uh, yeah, and uh, the last time the Fed funds rate went above the RBA cash rate, the Aussie dollar fell to below 50 cents. Now, obviously, there, yeah, there, so there were other well, factors. 18 years away. Yeah, there were, there were, 18 uh, years since that happened. That's right. Exactly. It's, it's an interesting, and I completely agree with you, the interesting thing about that, that's sort of picking up on your point, and I completely agree with it, is that part of what we benefit from here in Australia is the carry trade. Um, and you're right. When the last time we did have that inversion, you did see a huge amount of foreign flows out of the country. As particularly Japanese money, which they are one of the best carry traders on the planet, sort of fled the yield they were getting here and then ran off to the US and took a lot of their money with them, which did push the Aussie currency quite dramatically lower. Um, it's an interesting scenario, though, this time around, is that, again, as I said, the Aussie is not just based off carry trade. It is based off a, you know, a quasi-China slash growth story. And the bulk commodity story is still one that's very interesting, particularly if you look at things like copper, coal, also nickel to some extent. They're looking like having a a fairly reasonable 2018 like they did in 2017 with the China demand story unlikely to slow down until probably September, October next year. So there's two push-pull factors to that, but completely agree. We, we are staring down something we haven't seen for, for 18 years, which is that we now have a lower cash rate and therefore a lower yield offering than, than our peers over in the US. I note also that the uh, equity market in the US responded to the um, the, the rate hike there by uh, by rising, which was a bit unusual in the sense that um, you know, in recent years, markets have tended to um, gone down when the, when rates have gone up, and the other way, and gone up when rates have gone down. But uh, yeah, it's time. an interesting interesting one. Well, with the with the Fed as well. So this is their fifth rate rise in two years, fourth in the last thirteen months, um, three this year, and it's the third time in a row they've actually raised rates in December, so Merry Christmas to our friends over in the US, um, with the back of increasing in, in borrowing costs. The interesting thing would be is that, again, you've still got to look at it from a point of view that the reason rates are increasing is because they believe that the current growth profile and future outlook for the US is quite rosy. They're still a, a long way away from what they would classify as their neutral cash rate. Um, I, I think also, as I said at the start of the conversation, maybe, just maybe, the market is picking up on the idea that their ability to raise rates three times next year as well will probably be impacted by the inflation talk. And if you look at the differential also between what the board is forecasting on their dot plots and what the market is forecasting on the swaps market or also on their, their interbank market, it's the differential is ginormous. The, the market only believes they're going to get one 0.75 movers, so it's factoring in definitely one, and there's a 75% chance of a second one next year. So there's a big difference between what the market's expecting and what the Fed's expecting, and that also may explain why the equity market rallied on the back of the idea that they're starting to see possible cracks in the thesis of the, of the Fed and their ability to actually raise rates. What, are the, what have been the big things in the local market this week? A uh, few things. I mean, c clearly the, the biggest story this week is, is coming around M&A and what's going on with, with Westfield is, is clearly the start of that. Um, you know, they're no longer listed here, but certainly you can always point to what's going on over in the US with, uh, you know, 20s for, for Century Fox and, and Murdoch possibly selling out to Disney. So M&A is catching my attention. There is clearly consolidation to be had in our market. REITs are a clear example of that. You've seen a a really strong movement up off the back of Westfield and 
centre groups, one of them GBT groups, another. There's all this idea of consolidation. I think you can also see it coming in to what should be going on, which is discretionary, is having an interesting period as well. There could be A, signs of consolidation in that. There is certainly M&A, considering most of them are, are under pressure, have probably tried to get a discount off the back of the disruption that could be Amazon. Also, retail sales have been slightly stronger than, than forecasted last month and look like being fairly solid this month. So that's been a, a, bit, of a, a bit of a catching of attention. Other thing that you probably want to put out there is we have yet to see the Santa Claus rally, which is not unusual. Um, but if you if going by history sort of numbers and having a look back over the last five years, it tends to start roughly around today, so the 14th of December, and maybe leading into you know the end of next week. So it'll be interesting to see if the Santa Claus rally does come. There is you know it's fairly reasonable optimism coming out of the US. There's there's okay optimism coming out of Europe, despite what happened with the, the Brexit issue over in the UK. So all that's a fairly positive lead towards the end of the year. And I think that there's some, some interesting factors going on in that space. The economists were, on average, completely wrong about yesterday's employment number. The consensus forecast was 18,000, and the actual figure for November was 61,200. A huge miss. What did Sally Ald of JP Morgan predict? Yes, it did. And we were looking just for a 15,000 rise in the month. So the, the headline number of over 60 did come as a you know quite a bit of a surprise to us. Yeah. So uh, what did you learn from that? Well, we tend not to focus too much on the monthly changes in the actual number of jobs created or lost um, and tend to focus more on measures of excess capacity in the labour market for things like the unemployment rate or the underemployment rate. Um, and so this month, you know, the unemployment rate held steady at 5.4%, and that's because we had a, a pretty decent jump in the participation rate. So I guess what that tells you is not only did labour demand pick up in the month, but labour supply also did as well. So that left the, the unemployment rate unchanged. And then when we look at the, the sort of bigger picture measures of excess capacity in the labour market, like the underutilisation rate and the underemployment uh, rate, They've actually come down over the past 12 months, albeit from very elevated levels. And so I think this is something that the RBA would be very happy about. Um, but they still have a lot of wood to chop in the sense that those, those rates are very high on a, in a historical context. So it's probably a little bit too soon to declare victory on, on that front. I suppose underlying that is the continued weakness in wages growth. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, probably the thing that makes the RBA really cautious at the moment is just the fact that when they look at the experience of other advanced economies who are a lot more, I guess, advanced in the cycle than we are, you know, getting the unemployment rate down to levels that are close to full employment doesn't necessarily give you wages growth um, in any sort of meaningful fashion. And, and for the RBA, for them to be comfortable that, you know, the inflation story is going to progress as they hope, they really need to see the lift in wages grow. So I think today's numbers are very much consistent with the RBA on hold well until the new year. Um, but like I said before, I think you know, at the end of the day, the thing that they're really desperate for is signs of wages growth. So they're going to remain pretty cautious until they can see that. G- given that, uh, your forecast on interest rates in Australia staying where they are for a while, and now we've got the US Fed funds rate going up, um, today as well. Uh, what's your mm-hmm. outlook for the Australian dollar now? Yeah, so we do have the Aussie moving lower um, over the course of next year. So we think it'll probably get down to 74 by mid-year and 72 by the end of next year. So it's not a large move lower. And I guess you know we're a little bit cautious on that just simply because 
you know, 2017 was a year in which the Fed hiked, you know, three times, four times, and RBA did nothing, and yet you know, the currency really didn't move. So I think we've just got to be a little bit careful in, in sort of doing, drawing too much of, you know, a, a sort of causation from narrowing interest rate differentials and, and the currency. But, you know, I think everything's sort of telling us whether it's slower growth in China, reasonably stable commodity prices, narrowing interest rate differentials, that you know, the Aussie is really going to struggle to, to go up and is more likely to go down next year. I suppose the, um, the difference between uh, 2017 and 18 might be the disappearance of the carry trade. Yeah, that's right. And that's yeah, that's normally what you would, would think would drive a lot of these moves in currency markets. But, you know, it's not just the Aussie that's, that's the unusual one. We've seen this across a whole range of FX markets where that carry trade or those interest rate differentials you know, hasn't really played as major a role as, you know, history would tell you that it would. So, um, like I said, I mean, I think ultimately all this will mean that Aussie will struggle to rally and is more likely to go lower. It's just probably the magnitude I think we're being given the experience of the past 12 months or so, you know, reasonably cautious on how, how far lower we think it can go. Was there anything else in this morning's labour market report that caught your interest? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think one of the things that you know, will be interesting for next year will just be, you know, we've thought a lot of the job gains this year have been healthcare related. And, you know, we suspect a lot of that is, is related to the, the national rollout of the NDIS scheme. So, you know, I think what we've seen is about 40% of new jobs over the past 12 months have been healthcare-related. That sector normally accounts for about 13% of, of total employment. So you sort of feel like there is a story there. And that's why I think also we've seen the female participation rate lift so sharply over the last 18 months. So I think you know, what we're looking for is some of those trends just to, to slow down and maybe even reverse a little bit in 2018. So our working case assumption, at least you know, for the sort of first half of next year, is that you should start to see a bit of slowing in employment growth and stabilisation in the un- unemployment rate of five. It's a big day tomorrow, Beethoven's birthday, 247 years ago. Was he the greatest? Well, yep, I think so. Here's my favourite bit of the fourth movement of the Ninth Symphony, otherwise known as the Ode to Joy. And this is where I reckon he invented rock music. That's it for this week. See you next week for the last Talking Finance of 2017. Try and keep yourself nice this week.